When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. And a half of one of my an episode of my podcast people so you know if you'd listen to a couple more maybe you'd know how to answer this question oh uh, yep this is gonna be a fun ride <laughs> uh two things i love about myself um ability to observe and um problem solve okay sometimes it helps and sometimes it's a curse Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Um, so I know where I know a variety of your speed bumps. However, I don't know what you want to start with. And typically once you start talking, um, you have the gift of gab. So Are you trying to say you can't shut me up? In a very nice way, you have the gift of gab. Um <laughs> And so where do you want to start? Uh, I don't know. Um, speed bumps. Uh, I joke with you all the time about the fact that this is not, uh, these are not highway miles. This isn't even city miles. This is off-road country going over everything else, hitting 3,000 potholes along the way, catching a rock here and there, like, um, but I feel like probably everybody has their version of that. Probably some, probably some more than others, but yeah. Um, I don't know. The earliest speed bump, I guess, would be, um, being in, uh, foster care, um, knowing my biological mother, but also knowing the circumstances of that. Um, uh, to later on learning about a half brother to, um, what's something else you were telling me about? Like, uh, you laugh, you were joking about the fact of me taking my friend's brand new Haro bike and basically destroying it in, in no time flat. That was, uh, that was a test on friendship. Well, you were, you were <laughs> telling me how. Because you grew up in the foster system, while you had a family that you mainly stayed with Mm -hmm. for the majority of the time, you weren't adopted until you were much older. And so because of that, and for other reasons, even though you lived in a nicer part of town, you didn't always have the nicest, newest things. And so sometimes you'd, you know, borrow your friend's bike or whatever. And so... So being being in foster care, so back up to go forward, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so bounced around for about six months. Uh, I was two at the time. Um, and then two and a half landed in the family that primarily raised me. Um, a couple of times I got out of hand, uh, for various different reasons, was in a group home for nine months, was in a shelter for six weeks. I thought there was another shelter at one point. Uh, there was, there was another shelter. Um, so, uh, in these shelters, are they like, is it like that orphanage that you, like, you see in like Annie or like, what is a group home? What is a shelter? What's the difference? So the group home I was in was co-ed, uh, 24 kids. It was, uh, first floor was kitchen and classrooms to some degree, uh, in the, the mess hall. Um, the second floor was the dorm area. 
Um, there was a, lead, a girl's wing and a boy's wing. Uh, everyone in here that was staying there was 17 and under. Um, at that time, I was in third grade, third, fourth grade, okay, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, maybe it was second or third, but either way, that was uh, was there for nine months. There were kids that were seventeen. It's you know, so it's the it's a locker room shower, call it uh, mm-hmm. a bathroom setup. So there's you know four sinks. There's two showers. There's you know, uh, a few stalls, what have you. Um, so here I am at that age and everyone's got to get showered at the same, you know, figure it mm-hmm. out. So, you know, here I am, say I'm in third grade, so I'm eight years old and I got a 17 year old shower and I'm like, well, okay, we're all built differently apparently. And <laughs> those type of things. Um, there was, uh, the lady Marjorie. She was uh, one of the people there. She was really nice. Um, and if you asked her nicely, she would like sing lullabies almost to you and stuff like that. That was that was a different kind of experience. It was like one of the comforts from being there. Um, but like kids from all kinds of troubled backgrounds um, for various different reasons, whether it was family stuff or foster family stuff or juvenile trouble stuff or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And it filled a whole array of categories, I'll say. Um, everything from abuse to sexual abuse to neglect to what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so it was there for about nine months, give or take. And uh, got out of there, went back to the family that I grew up with. Um, the shelter I was in next, that was a YMCA shelter. Um, so again, 17 minus or 17 and under, mm-hmm. um, and that's kids all over the place. It was just one kid. He was 17. He's going to turn 18 in like six weeks. And he was struggling with some of the basic math stuff. And once you turn 18, you're out like Thanks for playing. You got to go. So, you know, I'd work with him on some of the stuff for math and trying to study and whatnot. It was just um, tough to see some of the stuff with that. But like the room, the bedrooms were, you know, think of a very dorm style. There was a basic bed on one side, basic bed on the other um, for both the shelters and for the group home. And uh, that was pretty much the setup. And there was a locker wall locker for each person and um so is a when i think of a group home i typically think of like a family or like a adult taking a kid in but the way you described a group home was not what i had envisioned and a shelter is so the the group home was more of a there was a full-blown staff okay um everything from teachers to counselors to uh, all kinds of okay. folks as far as that went. And then obviously they'd have 24 hour watch. So night shift, there'd be yeah. a lady watching the w- girl's wing, the boy, a, a guy watching the guy's wing, um, things like that. Um, but we, they had culinary come in and do the cooking or some of the staff would do it or whatever. Uh, shelter was a smaller version of it. It was basically done on a YMCA budget. Mm-hmm. I would guess with like state assistance mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so, but that's, that was, uh, comparatively speaking, the group home was definitely better kept than the shelters were. Um, I think the shelters were a lot more because like the other one that I was in, I don't remember the name of it, but I think that was a private, private deal as far as that goes. Um, and that one, you know, being a kid and at that point, I was like 14 at the time. So you're learning little tricks that uh, typically you see in like movies and stuff like that. So we go up the street and we buy a Lucy cigarette, just a single cigarette for 25 cents, come back down. Um, 
And then because we didn't get the menthols or because they didn't have any, uh, we were taking toothpaste and slathering it over the over the actual toothpaste, uh, over the uh, cigarette itself, and then let it sit on the heater so it would dry out, so it would have a minty taste when we smoked it. And, like, it was, uh, that that's other shelter was uh, much more inner city. And uh, the the folks in there, I was older, a lot of the people were older, and some of those folks went through some tough times. And the speedboats there are trying to figure out why in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, why, why am I here? Like, why don't they want me? Like, I wasn't wanted in the first place and then I'm not wanted here. And, you know, and the, and the feeling that's raising me and, you know, it takes time later on to reflect and go, well, I was kind of being a schmuck and being in a, a uh, tough kid and um i was bucking against the things that were bouncing around in my head or whatever the case may be and mm-hmm. just pushing back um one of my speed bumps i guess i would say is i told you stories about this i i had no patience and no tolerance so um probably a lot of anger and frustration in life and somebody say something in school and i'd they were being rude, crude, mean, whatever. Hit them, punch them, stuff them in a like slam them into a trash can. Like somebody wanted to fight, I'd jump right in. Like it was, you want to fight? Let's go. I got plenty of energy behind this. I can handle that. Not um, that I don't believe you because I actually believe those things happen, but like you are the complete opposite of that now. Like it's so hard for me to believe that that was you. Just because that's not how you are now. It, a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of reflection, a lot of guidance, quite a few mentors um, over the years. And realizing that working through a lot of those angers and frustrations and hurts to why did... Why was I given up? Why was I found the way I was in the hotel room? Why was mm-hmm. uh, that the life that was she had chosen for that whole thing? And, um, you know, the just the whole piece of all that and the anger. And then uh, later on, the anger came out again when I figured out the, I found out that I had a half brother. And so there was this whole, Kind of you screwed up with me and now you're going to try it again. Are you trying to screw somebody else up or you just didn't want me? And, you know, as a young kid, you're not getting it. I mean, I had, I literally had points where I would go to my uh, social worker and they're like, you know, what do you want? I was like, I want you to figure out who my dad is. So, and I believe now that they worked hard to try to figure that out and that my biological mother even gave names like they said she did. But every time they come back and they can't find them, can't this, can't that, nobody's nobody's saying that this and that. Well, given my mother was an exotic dancer and uh, offered fringe benefits for those uh, on their payday, um, I later on realized that what fella is going to open the door with his wife and kids behind him and look up and go, Oh yeah, I I I spent extra money on a activity with a lady, and yeah, that's 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 that one's mine. Like it took me a little while to get to that point, but realizing the other part is I was younger. I realized it was once I I accepted they wouldn't find him. I realized that at that point, my biological mother was already a disappointment for me, and at that point. Not knowing who my father was, he could be anything I wanted him to be. Yeah. He could be an astronaut. He could be a lawyer. He could be uh, a CEO of a company. He could be a fireman, policeman. He could be any, (laughs) whatever I wanted him to be at that point, he could be. Right. And so it was one version or an early version of 
realizing that limits are sometimes things we put on ourselves. So sometimes not knowing is the answer. So. Yeah, I mean, in so many situations in life, we want to know the answer. We want to know why. We want to know why this bad thing happened. We want to know why this person passed away. Why this person gets sick? Why was I given up for adoption? Like all the whys. And recognizing that, to your point, that sometimes not having an answer is the answer can be a really tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. Oh, it's... It, that's not a pill. That's swallowing the tire of a mountain bike with a dry mouth and your jaw is broken. It takes a while. He has some great analogies, people. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it, it takes a while. And the, one of the biggest speed bumps Self-reflection and this to this day, just looking at myself or the world around is that's, that's a major speed bump is there have been studies how people will look in the mirror and they're five times more attractive to themselves in the mirror than other people see them because we don't see our own blemishes. We don't see our own flaws. We don't see our own whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So take the physical out of it for a second. The fact that you're sitting there and, can you look in the mirror? Can you see your flaws? Can you see? And if you, when you can see them, do you acknowledge them? And if you acknowledge them, will you change them? So it's not just look in the mirror. It's what are you doing about it? Yeah. And so that's a continual speed bump in life. I think just being able to mentally or emotionally step away for a second, look in the reflection, look in the mirror, and then get back into those emotions and states and then re-go back in the mirror to say, okay, there's emotion in this where it wasn't when I was stepped over here. What is that? Yep, Katniss. So that is where that comes into play is I'm kind of lost it when Kat has tossed the ball. Know, the thing. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> the joys of uh, recording with a dog and a cat. Uh, so you were talking about how you have to be able to look in the mirror and, you know, what are you going to do about your flaws? And then how, if you can step away and recognize, okay, so I had emotion in this thing. And while you're stepping away, you recognize you have that emotion. Once you're back in that, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, it's that. It's are you? Is it ego? Is it hurt? Is it anger? Like, wh- what's the driving piece in it? Mm-hmm. Um, discerning that is a continual speed bump. I mean, it is for a lot of people. I think it is because no one's perfect. Everyone has the thing that they struggle with, and you can consistently try to be the best version of yourself you know whatever that looks like for you but it's a constant learning experience because maybe you can i don't know be you have it all nailed down at work but then when it comes to closer relationships like with your spouse or your kids or your parents you haven't quite nailed it down in that aspect so it's a constant learning experience and you're constantly evolving True story. Work in progress. That's that's the new phrase I've come across is work in progress. So um, so I know like I said, you were talking about how before you were explaining the groups homes and the shelters and things like that. Um when you're with when you were with the family that you were growing up, you didn't always have. Well, you lived in a nice part of time. You don't, didn't always have the nicest things, uh-huh. and so you'd borrow a friend's bike or you'd borrow it. And I remember you telling me 
you were trying to do tricks or something on a friend's bike and oh yeah if I, if if anybody tried this nowadays the way we did it i was watching a video about this the other day about you know the homemade backyard ramp <laughs> and how it you know it's an era gone because we would so um you know i had like hand-me-down bikes or like somebody i did a newspaper route for their kids had outgrown them so they gave me the bikes and so i was always the guy that fixed things because i got you know used things or whatever and so i learned how to do all that stuff well i had friends of mine that their parents were doing well and so they were one of the i'm gonna date myself on this one he's Uh, more than a decade older (laughs) than me people so (laughs) so he was one of the first kids to have a computer in the house and that had internet and the dial-up and all that and um all that. So, but he, he had this Haro bicycle, which was an expensive bike back then, freestyle bikes, all this stuff with it. And he'd just gotten it for the previous Christmas. Like it was, we were, this is like summertime. Okay. So he's had it six months, seven months, maybe. So we're all over there and my bikes wouldn't handle this. The guys all knew that. So I was allowed to use their bikes. Yep. So we get bricks out and we get a sheet of plywood, a scrap piece of plywood, and we lay the bricks down and go one high. And we all go over the ramp. Yeehaw. Two bricks high. Yeehaw. Three bricks high. Yeehaw. We keep going, keep going, keep going. So last round that ended up happening. Yes, I concluded this event. Um, we're like six or eight bricks high at this point. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys goes over. Boom, boom. He goes, comes back with his haro. Hand it to me. Okay. I go up. So I go over this ramp. And this is where learning physics really comes into play. And I hadn't done that yet. <laughs> so here I go over the ramp. And front tires up in the air, rear tires down. And I hit the arc and I come down because I was not aware about pulling up on the handlebars. So that way the rear tire would land. So I come down, front tire comes in straight down. I come down with such force that I strip his handlebars because they bend forward 90 degrees. The bike ends up getting caught on my foot as it flips behind me. I go face down into the ground, sliding across the road, which the neighbor, I don't know why they did this. They came up with this new idea they were going to try because it's a snowy area up here in New England. So they decided to the two streets we were on, they were going to put a thin layer of tar and these small pebbles to sit in it so that that way we have traction and so that that way in the snow you wouldn't slip as much. So I hit the road. I slide across. The bike comes back. The back tire hits me in the back of the head. I'm sliding over. I My right shoulder slams into the curb. I roll into the grass three times. The bike goes flying. And everyone's like, what just happened? So they're all running over to me. I go to stand up. I really can't move my right hand. And everyone freaks out because nobody wants to get in trouble. So they're all grabbing the bricks, the plywood, the bikes, and they're slamming it all into my buddy's garage. And the other kids that were visiting, they got on their bikes and hustled back to their house. They were gone. I go to my buddy's house and I'm opening the door. I'm like, hey, dude, can you let me in? I just need a Band-Aid. He's like, no, go home. And I was like, what do you mean? He says, no, go home. And he slams the door shut. So I got to walk in the house, go back home. And I'm trying to hide my hand and stuff. And I'm bruised up, whatever. And I was like, I think I'm going to go up to my room. My mom looks at me and she goes, what's going on with your hand? Nothing. Really? Let me see it. So then she reaches over and she squeezes my wrist and I just drop to the floor. She goes, yeah, we're going to the hospital. But needless to say, I didn't get a horror for myself either. And I don't know what happened with his parents or anything, but that was kind of like a when nobody's going to talk about it incident when they saw me come in with a cast after that. Well, it's a good thing you're a southpaw. <laughs> it's a true story. True story. Only one in my right mind. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I 
anyone else I can like hold straight face with. I can do the things with you. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, yeah, the the so this the kind of how this started was like other kids in the neighborhood and stuff. They were Adidas, Nikes, Puma, like all the name brand stuff, mm-hmm. like all the big brand stuff. I'm a foster kid, and uh, about a year after I landed in the home, the husband passed away. Mm-hmm. Dad passed away, so. It was limited income mm-hmm. and all that. So I'm wearing, for those of you who are old enough and remember this, the blue light specials from Kmart with the 989 sneakers and all this type of stuff. So we get into class pictures or come in for the first day of school and everyone have new clothes. And I had new clothes. But they're looking at me as they're wearing their, nowadays it'd be like the Nauticos and the Under Armors and all that stuff. And I'm walking in with like, you know, off brand, whatever. Um, And so it was just kind of always kind of the outcast in that respect. And then having my temper, temper and whatnot with everything else. And then I was part of the land of misfit toys because I'd constantly get in trouble in class. But I think that kind of goes with the name because you go to a store and you hear somebody yell, Mike. 15 people are looking around, looking at their kid or their husband. So like, it's kind of, it's kind of a name trait. We're hyperactive. We get in trouble. Um, a little bit ADHD and yeah, a little well, boisterous. You ended up with me and I'm a misfit toy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a dentist. <laughs> I'm not gonna have time to edit all this out. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Roll the punches. What's next? What do we got? So why you could have been adopted when you were before you turned eighteen, but you were not. Why? Uh, two reasons really. Uh, ten year case review. The judge who terminated the parental rights as I was at the case and was asked, uh, is there anything you want? And I just, I said, I want the family last name. Mm-hmm. They keep referring to my biological first name or last name. And technically my biological mother was adopted. So that really has no relation to me. Okay. So they agreed and changed my name that day. Um, so I already hit, I was living with the family at that point. I've been with the family for 10 years and now I have the name. Okay. So the agreement was made with mom that raised me that um, at that point I was, you know, she was still getting state funds for me being there and stuff. And I had hopes and plans to do some schooling stuff. And I was thinking about instruments and I was already doing some at that point. And so I says, well, why don't we wait until I'm older and you adopt me before I have any kids? And that way my kids would have a real grandma. Mm-hmm. So um, the judge's face when we go in for the adoption and he's reading off the names of the parties that's on his piece of paper of who we're here to sit with. And he realized he was about to do an adoption for a 28 year old male was uh, <laughs> he, he was a little baffled that day, but it was uh, so I got adopted at 28 and that was that. So, but you knew that by getting adopted that mom would lose that state funding. Mm-hmm. And so because you had the last name, that was what was important to you. You already called her mom. Mm-hmm. And so, it was more about even at a younger age acknowledging the family finances to an extent mm-hmm. and from my point of view knowing you it was like your way of protecting her and the family mm-hmm. which apparently 
panned out in the future because only a few years later I'm at another shelter because I'm going to get out of hand. And if she adopted me, I don't know that she would have had that resource either. Yeah. So another reason why part of my things you hear me say all the time is everything happens with a purpose. She used to say, oh, everything happens for the best. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. I was like, yeah. so it'll eventually boil down to everything happens with a purpose. So, yeah, I had the name. Family regarded me as part of the family, always treated me like part of the family. Most of uh, them. Sorry, couldn't help it. Continue. They won't listen. <laughs> So the, uh, you know, they were part of the family and had the name and um, I had one teacher that just because my biological birth or my birth last name was on the paperwork, she would always refer to me as such. And I refused to respond to that because I had no correlation to that name. I feel like if someone called me Liz, I get it. Yeah. At least it's the same direct derivative. Fair. <laughs> so I just, I had, and because of all my frustration and anger about my yeah. biological mother, there was, a, I needed that disconnection. Well, to be fair, I didn't even know your biological last name until we had been together for like two and a half years. So like I, that story doesn't surprise me. I just, I had no, I need to be separated and she would not, would not. And it bothered me at a very deep level to the point where mom goes down to the school, talks to the folks there. Next thing I know, the principal is going, is walking down to the classroom, picks up my desk, carries it out of her classroom carries it into another classroom, sets it down, and says, this is your new class. Well, that's that's one way to handle it. <laughs> so, I, I, I just... I feel like maybe telling the teacher would have been better, but okay. The, the like the teacher, principal telling the teacher. I Listen, I, I, that's above my pay grade. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm not saying they did the wrong thing. I just, I, that seems a little extreme, but okay. Is what it is. So, just it was during the time of the dinosaurs. I get it. <laughs> Listen, I know how to make fire. That was important. Very important. It snows in New England. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, luckily enough, I had a. I was able to take the yellow dinosaur to school, so you know. Oh, okay. Was it the long dinosaur or the little short one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you want to keep going? I've been suspended off a bus. I've been suspended from school and out of school suspension. And that was all more, more flare ups with that. Like I could, I could, do we had many, very different childhoods. I could do it. I could do a mini series on this. Like this could be just on school. <laughs> we had very, very different childhoods. <laughs> so. Just there was a lot of dealing with it within, mm -hmm. and I think nobody likes to deal with it. No, it's a lot easier to, regardless of your age, blame others for your problems. Oh, and especially in today's day and age. Oh, yeah, but I can know. put my finger in 42 directions and it's all their fault. It's someone else's fault. I didn't do it. You know, it's really easy to play the victim. And in some circumstances, the victim has zero fault whatsoever. Like, in the case of your biological mom giving you up, like, that was not on you. But the anger, that was something you could have controlled. And so, but trying to recognize all of that and work through that is not easy. No, no. And there was a, and I, I swear I'm not making this up. I swear I'm not making this up. So there was this counselor. I'd gone through a series of counselors growing up. 
this is one gentleman swear to god his name was barry white um and he was the one that made the most progress Mm -hmm. um up to that point where it was like you know we were addressing my angers and flare-ups and the things like that and he's like what you know the socially wasn't working out because i was basically ostracizing myself in various different ways because who wants to deal with somebody who's constantly frustrated and angry and hurt and whatever or i mean i was still a kid trying to have fun but they would have those flare-ups so he's like why do you have he says go into a room and when you enter a new setting introduce yourself but kind of back off and the phrase i use now based on this is read the room see how things are going so you come in big energy and it's a quiet setting you're gonna you're gonna make yourself the odd man out it's basically what it came Mm -hmm. down to um but if it's a loud setting and you come in all meek you're the odd man in the room yep so it was just that was a big piece for me just to help me on the social side but then also realizing and that's probably a big piece of my observation mode is I I can see a situation because of all the years that from that point that I started read the room, read the room, read the room, read the room. And so I think that's going, going back for a second. A big piece of that is looking within ourselves Mm -hmm. and having that self-talk, having that realization and acknowledging where it's coming from. Yeah, being able to be honest with yourself. Because you can lie to everyone else. Oh, you can lie to yourself too. You can, (laughs) but when you lie to yourself, the person you're hurting the most is you. Yeah, but when you're in that hurting space already, you don't even see it. I know. You don't even see it. And and that's it takes it takes a lot of effort and a, and somebody to finally word it in a way to get you to finally see it so you'll take that step mm-hmm. then it's on you to continue doing that step but but i'm listening <laughs> so um trying to think of what else you said observation mode and i just know that you're in constant observation mode and you read the room i don't care if it's us going to church if we're going to a restaurant if we're going into a grocery store like you are always reading the room and given your past and current jobs and careers like it fits you very well gift and curse like we started at the beginning yeah because sometimes in certain career fields it was it was a gift because then you could see when i did electronic security Mm -hmm. for uh, residential home systems for security and surveillance like i could walk into a house and be able to see okay this one's upset this one this is broken over here this seems out of ray this seems out of whack come to find out that some they were broken into uh things like that um kids were home when it happened like you can the day after christmas how houses were raided and tvs were taken off the wall and it, all this stuff like read the mm-hmm. room um but then in other situations, you you see it, and it's it's like being glued to the tracks, but watching the train coming. Yeah, yeah, you're like I, I, I see it. That's 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 not the end of the tunnel. That's the train coming right at me. 
So Gift and Gers. Key is not to become hypervigilant. That's a struggle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And when, if that is already your, I guess, main default mode, if you experience situations that force you to be that way more often than not, it can definitely present like hypervigilance and can cause problems. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, uh, so one of the other things to, to that, the answer to that is balance. Mm-hmm. You've heard me say that hundred times a little miss or whatever the case may be. Like if I don't care what it is, I don't care what the situation is. The balance is the key. So finding balance is the often oftentimes a struggle. So speedball. <laughs> well it's it's balance in everything. Whether it comes to food or finances or um, personalities or, you know, one person in relationships and extrovert and the other is an introvert. Like it's not just balance in one area of life. It's balance across all areas of life. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I remember You telling me stories about how um, mom had taken in multiple kids. Mm-hmm. How many kids did she take in? Over the course of 35 years, it was over 100 kids. And that doesn't mean she adopted 100 kids. No, she adopted a fairly large portion over the years. <laughs> uh, no, she, it was over 100 kids in 35 years. Something that... Um, my sister, her, her blood daughter had actually, I think she, the, the way it goes is that she came home from school and heard about foster care or something like that and kind of brought it up to mom and dad. And they talked about it, or maybe they had been talking about it before. I don't know. I don't yeah. remember the details of that. Yeah. But then uh, they started going forward with that and became foster parents and just taking kids and helping them out, trying to set them up the best they can, take them from whatever place they came from. And whether it was an emergency situation where they had to give them a bed and, you know, home and a family to love them for 24 to 72 hours because it was an emergency or forever. (laughs) So like that's 35, 35 years, hundred kids all together. Were you, where were you on that 35 years? Towards the beginning, the middle? I know you obviously weren't towards the end. Earlier side. Okay. Earlier side. So I don't know. She did the numbers on the 100, so I'll take her word on it. Um, If I was to guess, I was probably, let's see. I was probably somewhere between the 60 like there was 60 after or anywhere between 60 to 80 after me okay that's roughly where yeah I yeah yeah Good thing. and then her sister <laughs> also was got, it a, got into foster care adopted a few and yeah and she lives in like an in-law addition on this house so like there was it's not like there was constantly kids oh there was state vehicle in the driveway on a regular basis and there was constantly kids coming in and out and um you know and i and back then neighbors knew neighbors and were uber friendly and you know got together all the time um heck i can't tell you how many times i'd get home because summertime i was basically get on my bike and go do things and come back before the lights came on and I get home and am I allowed to cuss on here? Yes. Okay. So she's like, you know, I get home. What were you doing with the bike today? 
And I was like, I was just going down and riding down the street, doing this, doing that. Where'd you go? I went here and I went there. Mm-hmm. I got a phone call from so-and-so and you were riding your bike like an asshole, cutting through traffic, <laughs> cutting through cars and cutting people off. And yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> but that was, that yeah. was the time, you know? So, um, but they all, all the families knew and, so whenever new kids came in, they was almost like a welcoming party in the neighborhood because they knew that that house was, was going to be a, potentially a new face coming up. So. And you, without naming names, I know there was like a long-term like foster placement who's like a brother never adopted. Mm-hmm. And then how many after you were adopted? So he was long-term foster care. Yeah. I was one. So I was long-term foster care. I was one of the last in the state that I was, that's what I was told anyways. Mm -hmm. And then eventually adopted. So he's counting. So mom adopted five of us including you yes okay and then her sister yep three sounds right okay sounds right i might be overlapping one because of the way that yeah their initial family i thought it was i thought her sister adopted or unless her sister had a biological, and that's where I'm getting confused. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, how do I say this without naming names? And so, so when people ask me, like, how many in laws do you have? I'm like, y'all, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> the, the way I've, when people ask about family history, medically speaking, I'm like, I am the base of the tree. Yeah, me- medically, it. you have no idea. So that's that, that's what I'm going to tell you right now. Um, but from a genealogy standpoint, um, this isn't a family tree. This is kind of like a shrub set in the front of a house, but it's got 78 different vines running through. <laughs> And they kind of crisscross, and but there's like these roots that kind of they're two separate bushes, but they actually intertwine over here. But they kind of not really connected. They just look like they like it's. Yeah, I need a I need a slideshow and a PowerPoint. And listen, I still have trouble figuring out it all because at one point there was a set of siblings that mom adopted, and then their sibling was adopted by your mom's sister Mm -hmm. and so those three are biologically related but then also cousins and like it becomes a whole it becomes a whole thing it becomes a whole thing yeah yeah if you didn't know the situation we could very easily if you explained who was who and what their relation was it could be the punchline to a lot of jokes for some comedians yeah (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yeah it's um like, bless her for everything that she did. However, I still can't figure out everything. Like, it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of, where one kid came in, he was, um, good kid, um, had these thick glasses, he had bad eye issues, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and, you know, she took him from a really bad place. He got him through all the doctors. Like he didn't have any glasses, but then it was like they they said there was a de- developmental issue, and it was this, that, and the other thing. And she, like, for somebody who did this, when it's not their blood, when it's not their child, mm-hmm. and like putting everything into. I got to get him to do this. I got to get them to go to this doctor. They need to go to this doctor. Traveling. She hated driving on the highway. Yes. 
absolutely hated it. Yes. This was the uh, the car that was the little old lady drove it to the bank, to church, to the to the grocery store, and home. Like mm-hmm. that was that was her. And but she would, if he needed to go, she got him there. She made sure that whatever needed to be happening happened. Uh, got him so he was in better health. He was developing. Um, got the additional resources for him. Got the eye doctors involved. Got they did some adjustments with that. And the other back with the family. And so seeing the kids go after you developed a bond, I was a kid at the time and it was tough for me. I could only imagine from her seat or in some instances where she would take the kids in, help them through a situation. They would end up going back to the kids and then the kids come back more impacted by their situation than they were the first time and watch that reset happen. That was tough. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how she did it. Like, and the state claims to put the kids best interest first. However, I really don't think that happened back then, nor do I think it's happening now in most cases. Um, It's a giant money system, in my opinion. And, you know, because you hear some of these stories. um, I had a woman on who she did foster care in Alaska. And because of ICWA, which is like the Indian Child Welfare Act. Okay. They, so Tan and her husband are white. And, but a lot of the kids in Alaska are native Alaskans. Mm-hmm. So they are the last people that the foster agencies call because they're white. Um, And they would have multiple placements where these kids were very messed up. Um, they'd put them with this family and then the tribe would step in and go, no, we want them back. But the messed up part is the tribe didn't have any type of foster system. They didn't have foster families and they'd oftentimes just either put the kids back in the abusive family or like the parents had alcohol or drug issues. Um, and there's no follow-up because they're considered their own nation. And so it's like this catch 22 of respecting the nation but also then these kids are being done this giant disservice Mm -hmm. um and so just seeing you know hearing her stories hearing some of your stories uh hearing stories from today it doesn't seem this in my from my opinion the state has gotten any better in their um treatment of children is what i will say i think so i was fortunate that the few foster homes I was in before I landed into this family. I was young enough where, and it wasn't impactful enough where I have a memory. So I can't speak from that perspective. Mm -hmm. What I can speak from is the conversations I would have with the kids from the group homes Mm -hmm. or the group home rather, and the shelters and some of the things that they experienced. Yeah. And like the guys that were in the, you know, when I was, eight years old and they're 15, 16, 17. And some of the stuff that they would talk about, like, I hope there's more families out there like mom and like her sister and my aunt. And like, I hope there's more out there like that. Um, but in my, from my perspective with the conversations I've had, it doesn't sound like there's a ton of that, um, or there seems to be an overwhelming portion of, um, what's that Stepford wives? 
where as soon as the as soon as the folks show up, everything's fine and hunky dory. <laughs> and then as soon as the door sh- shuts, it's like some kind of freaking horror movie. Yeah. Um. So. I wish that wasn't the case. I hope that things have changed some. Um, from the dabblings I've had with state agencies over the years, um, one theme that continues to seem to be consistent is overworked, understaffed, underpaid, and not enough resources. And that combination in any environment yeah is not going to create a great output i'd agree with that i don't care if you're in a manufacturing organization yeah <laughs> for widgets like if that's your recipe your widget's going to be junk yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i I know we've talked about it of, and I really talked about it. Asked you one time, I was like, "Would you ever consider, you know, adopting or foster care?" And you're like, "No." And I'm like, "Cool," because I don't think I could do that. Like, kudos to the people who do. Like, I love your mom for doing it. Like, I just, I don't think I could. So foster care. I was uh, more emotionally stoic in my younger years. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart couldn't handle it now. Um, I just, for me, like, I don't think I would be able, like, to give a child back knowing that they were going to a place where they would be hurt again. Like that's what would tear at me. Well, and and the problem is you don't know because maybe somebody had a bad night and got themselves in trouble, and they were mm-hmm. the only provider for that kid. So if they're behind bars for right. because they got into a bar brawl, right, and no relatives nearby, they're gonna end up in the state, right? So maybe it was just a one off, right? Right. So you don't know that, right? But there's. If it's, hey, this family's had this issue 47 times. Yeah. Well, But as soon as they get in front of the gavel, it's all, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want the automatic answer to be, you know, termination of parental rights. It's also not what I'm advocating for. No. Like in any way, shape or form. However... I feel like there's, you you hear the news stories, right, of, you know, this happened and, um, you know, they were in front of the judge and, you know, all of these family services or whatever, right, CPS, DCF, whatever, And and you read the news story and you're like, why did they let the kid go back and, like, Just the news stories you hear, and you're, mm-hmm. some of them you're like, you can just tell the system is broken. But then the stories you tell me of foster care and things like that, like, is that any better? And I feel like it becomes a societal issue of how do we fix this? But uh, we we're gonna run out of time before we solve that problem. Right yeah, now. I know, I know. We, we we don't have enough time for that conversation. Um. As far as adoption, for those who can do it and whatnot, um, if you're listening to this and you have a calling for it and you can be there for that, be there and realize, um, for all intents and purposes, I'm looking at our dog as I say this, um, you want to find a rescue human. Um, as far as that goes, uh, you know, if you, it, our dog came from as a rescue and she came from a situation that we didn't know what it was. 
and um you know there were certain reactions to family here that you wouldn't expect from a dog because there were situations that happened that they, we didn't know happened mm -hmm. and we had to learn that she was not a fan of you know men and stuff at one point and then it was certain and then it was this and then realizing that there were certain things that would mm -hmm. cause a response due to memory or what she'd experienced up to that point so um for those looking for adoption re realize that in some instances it's the hey they just decided not for me here you go kudos uh for those who are in different situations um if you have that calling on your heart, then those, the children will be blessed for the opportunity if you're able to be there for them and take them in and welcome them as your own. That, that means a lot. That's, that's the piece that's going to stick. Love you. <laughs> We're both over here tearing up. It's fine. It's fine. They say, and I don't know how true this is, but they say, um, you know, babies are easier to adopt. And I would, to your point, that probably makes sense in the sense of just like puppies and kittens are because they don't have personalities necessarily yet they don't have um bad habits good habits like all the things and just like you see the things of like you know adopt a senior dog or adopt a senior cat like at the rescue place like if it is on your heart to adopt um don't always just go for the little ones sometimes go for the tripods go for the seniors go for the go for the island of misfit toys uh, they're the best ones it, it it might be a struggle to help them through but the when they get older they all appreciate what you provided as long as it was done with a pure and genuine heart and I think that's the major piece, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, all about intention. Well, thank you for finally doing this with me. I appreciate it. Am I going to run next time? Um, is there going to be a next time? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I was, it was more like a lead, a lead weight than a balloon in this one. So listen, it goes up and down, just like any conversation. We're good. Okay. I promise. But thank you. And thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night. She what you provided. As long as it was done with a pure and genuine heart. And... I think that's the major piece, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, all about intention. Well, thank you for finally doing this with me. I appreciate it. Am I going to run next time? Um, is there going to be a next time? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I was, it was more like a lead, a lead weight than a balloon in this one. So listen, it goes up and down, just like any conversation. We're good. Okay. I promise. But thank you. And thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for listening to Speed Bumps. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed my podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on. I also wanted to plug my YouTube channel, where I'm posting videos every Friday under the hashtag FinnApprovedFridays. In the videos, I demonstrate how I do everyday tasks and tell you if the items are Finn approved. You can find my YouTube channel by searching one thumb L, that's O-N-E, thumb E-L, or clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and on to the show.